0: Again, if you have your Bibles, and and you should, (laughs) no guilt, but, you know, if you do, (laughs) turn to the book of Jeremiah. We're going to be reading from Jeremiah chapter 1, and the prophet Jeremiah is going to be speaking. He is prophesying during the last years of the kingdom of Judah. He's going to start his ministry under Josiah, who is the last good king of Judah, and he's going to continue that for about 22 years. So here we are in chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send, send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting towards us from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come up and set, their thrones again, set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, in worshiping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready, stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel, this is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives? I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled the land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law do not know me. The leaders rebelled against my Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges you, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Look, send to Kedar, and observe closely. See if there's ever been this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they're not gods at all, but my people have exchanged their glorious gods' idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens! And committed two sins: they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns—broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? Why then has he become plunder? Lions have roared. They have growled at him. They have laid waste his land. His towns are burned and deserted. Also, the men of Memphis and Taphanes have cracked your skull. Have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? Now why go to Egypt to drink water from the Nile? And why go to Assyria to drink water from the Euphrates? Your wickedness will punish you. Your black backsliding will rebuke you. Consider and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God. And have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Long ago you broke off your yoke and tore off your bonds. You said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high hill and under every spreading tree, you lay down as a prostitute. I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Sovereign Lord. How can you say, I am not defiled, I have not run after the balls? See how you behaved in the valley? Consider what you've done. You're a swift she-camel running here and there, a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving, in her heat who can restrain her. Any males that pursue her need not tire themselves out. At mating time, they'll find her. Do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you said, it's no use. I love foreign gods and must go after them. As a thief is disgraced when he's caught, so the people of Israel are disgraced. They, their kings, officials, their priests, and their prophets. They say to wood, you are my father, and to stone, you gave me birth. They have turned their backs to me and not their faces." Yet when they're in trouble, they say, come and save us. Where then are the gods you've made for yourselves? Let them come if they can save you when you're in trouble. For you, Judah, have as many gods as you have towns. Why do you bring charges against me? You've all rebelled against me, declares the Lord. In vain I punished your people. They did not respond to correction. Your sword has devoured the prophets like a ravenous lion. You of this generation, consider the word of the Lord. Have I been a desert to Israel or a land of great darkness? Why do my people say we are free to roam and we will come to you no more? Does a young woman forget her jewelry, a bride, her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. How skilled you are at pursuing love. Even the worst women can learn from your ways. On your clothes is found the lifeblood of the innocent, poor, though you did not catch them breaking in. Yet in spite of all this, you say, I am innocent. He is not angry with me. But I will pass judgment on you because you say, I have not sinned. Why do you go about so much changing your ways? You will be disappointed by Egypt as you were by Assyria. You will also leave that place with your hands on your head, for the Lord has rejected those you trust. You will not be helped by them. If a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? But you have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. Would you now return to me, declares the Lord? Look up to the barren heights and see. Is there any place where you have not been ravished? By the roadside you sat waiting for your lovers, sat like a nomad in the desert. You have defiled the land with your prostitution and wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withheld and no spring rains have fallen. Yet you have the brazen look of a prostitute and you refuse to blush with shame. Have you not just called to me, my father, my friend from my youth? Will you always be angry? Will your wrath continue forever? This is how you talk, but you do all the evil you can. The word of the Lord. That's a harsh word, but there's some nuance in there that we're going to get to. So as I said, Jeremiah is prophesying. He starts his his prophetic ministry during the reign of the last good king of Judah and we'll continue through the final kings of Judah until Judah goes into exile. Just like every time, we're, we're talking about the story of God's plan for redemption. And even though this is about judgment, this is intimately bound up with God's plan for redemption. We've talked about God making a good creation that he wished to dwell in in fellowship with his people. Man's bad choice is damaging that and God working out a plan of redemption Uh, by calling one man and making from him a family and from that family a nation, and giving that nation the mission, choosing them out of all the people, setting them apart to carry his redemption project through in the world. And as we've seen time and time again, they continuously go off the tracks. And and here we're going to be seeing Jeremiah speaking to them about their kind of ultimate, almost, going off the tracks. Now, it starts out here, Jeremiah is a priest. He is from a priestly family. He's from the tribe of Levi. And that's going to be uh, especially significant because he is also going to be speaking to the priests and how they've abandoned their roles. And there's some things, when we come to verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, When we actually come across the word of the Lord here in the Old Testament, it can sound like, you know, I I heard a message from God, but it's actually personified. This is a personal appearance of the Lord coming to him saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were yet, before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. We talk about this as the call of Jeremiah and people will talk about things like how God knows people before they're born, before they're formed. He already knows them. But there's a little, there's kind of a little sly wink here because this is absolutely true about Jeremiah. God is saying this about Jeremiah, but it's also true of the nation of Israel. So when Jeremiah gets his call, it's also restating the original call of Israel, that God had prepared Israel, God had set Israel apart um, before Israel was even created, when he called Abraham. He was already setting Israel apart to carry, him, to carry his word and his message and his project of redemption to the nations. So when he's doing this to Jeremiah, he's kind of re- revisiting that original call from Israel, which in itself is a judgment on Israel. And of course, like, like many of us, Jeremiah is going to be like, I don't, and I, I did just whack the microphone. <laughs> My apologies. Um, of course, like many people, Jeremiah is going to be like, I, I don't know what to say. I don't want to get up in front of people. I'm too young. And God says, Don't worry, I will, I will give you the words to say, and I will defend you, I will rescue you from the people. Now, if you know the ministry of Jeremiah, it is true, God did rescue him, but it, it was not pleasant. I would not want to have been called like an Old Testament prophet. They had just horrible things that they had to do. Jeremiah will be thrown into a cistern in water up to his neck. He will be rescued. He won't die, but I don't want to go through that, um, you know, Other prophets, you're going to lie naked on your side for a year. <laughs> so he does rescue him, but, but being a prophet is not easy. But he says, look, I've given you the words to say. I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. He is going to be speaking this word of judgment on Israel, and there is a sense that God is using him to tear down Israel. That's certainly the way the Babylonians will look at it. When the Babylonians do conquer Israel, they will know that that Jeremiah has prophesied all this and prophesied against Israel, and they will actually consider him kind of somebody on their side. They will see him as an instrument of judgment on Israel. There's some things here that in English they kind of lose it, like, what do you see? And he's like, oh. I see an almond, an almond branch. In, in English, that doesn't mean much, but it's a, it's a Hebrew pun because it's very similar to the word for watching. And God says, yeah, see that almond branch? I'm watching. I only say that to, to provide biblical justification for the concept that God likes puns. So if there's any of you out there that don't like puns, yeah, get biblical. And then he tells him, what else do you see? He says, I see a pot of water that's boiling and it's tilting towards us from the north. And that is that is Babylon. That is God calling forth the judgment that is going to sweep away uh, the nation of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, and bring God's judgment. The kings will come and set up their thrones in the gates of Jerusalem. That is a picture of the kings of Babylon becoming the kings of Judah. When they set up their thrones in the gates of Jerusalem, it means they're... They are sovereign there. There is no more sovereignty. They will come against the surrounding walls and against the towns of Judah. Everything that Judah depended upon for its strength, its security, and its support is going to be taken away. And it's because of the wickedness of the people in forsaking God and burning incense to other gods and worshiping what their hands have made. Israel had a call. I mean, you can, you can think, boy, how stupid is that? You, you know you made that thing. You know, How can you turn to that? How can you turn away from God to something you know you've made? But that's actually a very common human condition. We come and we worship God and we pray to God and we, we place our faith and our trust in God, but day to day, we very rarely look to god for security um probably most of you are much more mature than i am but it can be very easy to to look at your bank statement and think that that's your security and when it gets low oh um, i'm losing my security no your security is always in god god gave you the power to earn that in the first place god created you in the first place but it's really easy to look at the things that your hands have brought into your life and think about them as your security and your safety. I have this house that I bought. I have this land. I have this car. I have this... Those aren't our security. Those aren't what establish us in the world. They can look like that, but they're just things we've gotten and, and they're not our ultimate source and security. Well, in chapter 2, We're getting God laying out his case against Israel. The word of the Lord came to me again. This is, again, a personal visitation of God. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. How bad must Israel be at this point? Because we've seen the story of the Exodus. We know how much they grumbled, how much they're like, oh, God, I'm sick of manna. Can I have a duck to eat? Sorry, a quail. Um, they were whiny. They were like, oh, well, we don't, you know, we're, we're kind of uncomfortable worshiping a God we can't see. We're going we're gonna to make a golden calf and just use that to represent God, even though he said, don't do it that way. We're going to do it that way. They were horribly rebellious. But there's something about the kingdom of Judah and Israel that is so bad, God can look back on that and go, man, those were the good old days. That's when you really loved me. So, how bad is Israel at this point? Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of the harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them. Israel was his project. Israel, when it says the first fruits, And holy to the Lord. That means he had set them apart. Doesn't mean they're better than the other nations, but that he had set them apart for a particular purpose. That's the root of holiness is, is to be set apart, that God had picked them. It says it's the first fruits of the harvest. Well, the first fruits of the Jewish sacrificial system, that was what you brought to the temple and gave. And what you were doing when you did that, the first fruits was your way of saying the whole harvest belongs to God. I'm, I'm giving you this piece, but I know the whole harvest belongs to God. And Israel was the first fruits of the harvest because they were the symbol that all of us belong to God. And they were supposed to be representing God to us, but they didn't. Hear the, descend, hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Israel, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord said. What was wrong with me? Didn't. You know, I led you through the wilderness. I fed you. I took care of you. Why did you turn away? Why did you stray from me? And then the heart of everything we're going to look at today, they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. That word doesn't really mean worthless. It's the the Hebrew word there is havel, which means... Mist, smoke. That's when you read Ecclesiastes and it says everything is vanity or, or fleeting. It's, it's using that word, Havel, mist. It's all mist. It, it has no weight. And it's like you followed those worthless idols. And then there's a little spin on it when you became worthless themselves. You, you became full of mist. You were nothing. Well, this is a whole horribly judgmental choice of words because one of the characteristics, one of the things that always attends the appearances of the Lord is or quite frequently is the glory. We'll, you'll talk about the glory of God. Well, the glory of God in the Old Testament is most often a translation of the word kabod, which means weight. There is substance. There is this weight to God that shapes everything else, this heaviness of God that shapes everything that's upon it. Israel was called to bear that glory before the world. They were called to bring God's glory to the world. They were called to be a weighty and purposeful people. And instead, they became weightless. They became missed, they became of no account. They were the ones called to bring significance into the world, and by their own short choices, they made themselves insignificant because they followed insignificant things. And when this happened, they didn't even, when their relationship with God changed, they, didn't e- they weren't even concerned about it. They didn't say, um, where's God who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the wilderness? You know, he took care of us. We're, they don't, they're not even concerned that they don't have that relationship anymore. The priests who are supposed to be the shepherds of, the sh- of Israel, and Israel is supposed to be the shepherds or bringing the message of God to the rest of us, They didn't ask, where's the Lord? Those who deal with the law, the people who were supposed to know this stuff, they didn't know God. All the leaders rebelled. So you have this nation that's supposed to bring God's purposes to the world, and they're rebelling, and the people that are supposed to bring them back to God and keep them on track with God are rebelling. And they're running away following these insubstantial, meaningless things they're trying to be like the nations that were driven out before them God says therefore I'm bringing these charges against you and I'll bring charges against your children's children and there's that can sound kind of like oh my gosh you know the kids didn't do anything wrong and and he's you know accusing them but what he's saying is Because of what you've done, there are consequences coming now that are gonna echo even into the generation of your children's children. He says, cross over to the coast of Cyprus and look to Kedar and observe closely, see if there's ever been anything like this. And he's telling them, look at all the nations around you. Have you seen any other nation that has just abandoned its gods and turned turned away from their faith? Says, "You, you won't see that and they're not even worshiping real gods. They're worshiping stone and wood, and they're they're more faithful to that than you are to the true and living God who brought you through the desert and delivered you from your enemies. Now, there was a time when nations would change their religion sometimes. If you were conquered by another nation, the thinking was, in the world of that time, that their gods were better than your gods. So if you were defeated by another power, you might change to worshiping them. So has Israel been defeated by another God? No. So why are they doing this? They have absolutely no reason. And God says this is more than just, this is more than just a local thing with Israel because he's gonna say, be appalled at this you heavens and shudder with horror. He's calling on creation to witness how bad this is. Because remember, his plan is to redeem not just people, but all of creation. Saying, creation, how bad is this? This is my chosen people. They're not as, and I have done all this for them, and they're not even as faithful to me as these other guys are to their wood, stone, and rocks. And he says, my people have committed two sins. One, they've turned away from me, the spring of living water, the source of life. They've turned away from me. That is sin. That is foolishness because there is no other real source. And then they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot contain water. So not only have they turned from God, but they've tried to create their own, their own source of provision And and they haven't even done that right. Their cisterns won't even hold water. And there's also an irony in this because they're saying they're going to turn from the springs of living water and dig their own cisterns. Well, cisterns don't fill themselves. So even even their own efforts are still counting on the general goodness of God to to bring blessing to them. And and they're just not acknowledging it. And God, now he's going to say, is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? Why then has he become plunder? That's really telling. It's bringing Israel back to their history, saying, hey, you're not a slave by birth. By the way, there was a time you were slaves. You were slaves in Egypt. I brought you out of that. I set you free. Why are you going back to that? It's because of what you've done. The natural powers of the world are devouring your inheritance. They've made your land a waste. He says, also the men of Memphis and Taphanes have cracked your skull. Those are Egyptian cities. So what he's saying is, you're not a slave. You weren't born a slave. I delivered you from all that, and now you've become plunder again. All this is coming on, and oh, by the way, those Egyptians I delivered you from, they're coming back and beating you over the head. And you've... Brought this on yourselves by forsaking me, who led you out of all that. And then he's going to make two statements here. Now, why go to Egypt and drink water from the Nile? And why go to Assyria and drink water from the Euphrates? Two things going on here. These are both powers that Israel had kind of appealed to, to help them in their wars against their neighbors. They had behaved just like the other nations. Let's get a big, powerful empire to be our ally and we'll be safe instead of trusting in the Lord So that's one level of this, because they have asked both those powers, but they're also representing two things. Why go to Egypt and drink water from the Nile? That was your past. That's what I delivered you from. Why are you going back to that for security? And as for Assyria, you remember that we talked about Israel splitting into two kingdoms with a purely rebellious northern kingdom. Well, Assyria had carried the other half of the kingdom off into captivity. So they're saying, why go back to your sinful past and why be like your bozo brothers that, that uh, ran away from me and were carried into captivity? Why are you being like that? And then he's like, he says, your wickedness will punish you and your backsliding will be a rebuke to you. He's like, what's coming on you is because you've forsaken me. You've forsaken, you've forsaken the source of your safety and supply. And because of that, this is all coming on you. And it says, long ago you broke off your yoke and tore off your bonds and said, I will not serve you. They're saying, from from a long time ago, you've broken your covenant with me. And that broke yoke is is a double thing. One, when they're saying that, he's saying you're in rebellion. But he's also, again, echoing back to his deliverance because he broke the yoke of the Egyptians off of them. And he's saying, you know, I delivered you from slavery, and then you decided to deliver yourselves from the person that delivered you from slavery. Said, I will not on you. He says, on every high hill and under every spreading tree, you lay down as a prostitute. God is now going to get very graphic about what's involved when they chase after other gods. It's infidelity. It's adultery. You have this deliverer who loved you and laid down his life and sacrificed for you and that's not good enough and you're running off to other things because you think you're going to profit it. I planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. You were supposed to bear fruit. Not only were you supposed to flourish in your own right, but you were supposed to bear fruit for the world. You're supposed to be my vessel to bring blessing to the world. And that picture of the vine is something that's going to bring fruit and blessing, but you've You've turned away. You've corrupt wild vine. You're not even you're not even good for growing grapes. And you're looking to your own solutions. He says, "Although you wash with soap and an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me." You're you're trying to make things right in your own in your own ways. You're not seeking the Lord. You're thinking, "Well, you know, my my life is messed up, but I can fix it." We like to do that. Have you ever? Have you ever made a mistake and gotten yourself into trouble, but you don't want to ask for help because you're embarrassed? Okay, probably only me. Um, but, but that's a thing that happens. You get yourself into trouble, but you don't want to ask for help because you're embarrassed. That's Israel. Ah, everything's falling down, you know, uh, what do we do to fix this? You know, all well, those prophets keep saying, go back to God, but we can't do that. Well, we've got to come up with something that's Israel, how can you say, I am not defiled, I have not run after the bowels, because that's, Israel would be like, well, we're still doing sacrifices at the temple, you know, we are we we haven't totally abandoned God, we're still doing sacrifices at the temple, oh yes, but under every tree, you have pagan temples set up, and you've even brought pagan idols into the temple of the Lord, and you're like, well, we're just, we're adding something extra, no, you're being a prostitute, it's, it's what God says. He says you're like a swift she-camel running here and there, a wild donkey. He's talking about animals in heat. If you've lived on a farm or you've had pets that aren't fixed, you, you know what that's like. Nobody, Especially, you know, my sister, um, she had some of the sweetest cats, but... Yeah, there was no peace. big old. she had a big old house, but um, there was no peace anywhere in that house when that cat was in heat. It disturbed everything. And that's what Israel's like. He's running after these false gods. It's like the gods, the false gods, don't even have to chase her. She's running after them. And the prophets are saying, hey, don't go that way. And Israel's saying, it's no use. I love the foreign gods. Just out of control. This is almost Addiction. And he's saying, you've been caught in it. This judgment that's coming on you, that's like when a thief is caught stealing. It's going to show that you're wrong, that your kings are wrong, that your priests and prophets are wrong. you have caught in the act, and you're going to try and get out of it. You're going to say to the wood, you're my father, and to the stones you gave me birth. Because you're turning your backs on God, back on God. You're saying, well, you know, I established myself, or I came from mere material sources. You're denying that you had a transcendent call. You're denying that you got your life from God. But then when you get in trouble, you're like, oh, well, uh, God, save me. That's, you know, you talk about foxhole conversions during war, you know, people that have just, oh, God, if you'll only save me, I'll, I'll start an orphanage. I'll, I'll, you know, pass out tracts for God. I'll, I'll join Teen Challenge, whatever, you know, in the moment, come and save us. And God's like, well, no, you said, you said that you've established yourself. Let, you, let your bank account save you. Um, you came from primordial soup that just happened to become alive. Let the laws of the universe save you. But they won't because they're not God. said, so, Judah, you have as many gods as you have towns. We don't think of ourselves as having a lot of gods these days, but we do. Everybody has their own gods that get in the way of God. For some people, it's their job. For some people, it's their family. And the problem with idols, the problem with false gods, is that they're almost always something that in and of itself would be good if it was in right relationship to the creator, but you take it and instead of putting it as something in relationship to the creator, you kind of elevate it to the position of the creator. And because there are things that were originally good, it's really easy to do that. Very few people will make gods out of garbage you know, that's not usually a source of idolatry. It's good things. It's things we're actually called to do. We are called to do many things as, as people of God. We are called to love our neighbors. We're called to seek justice. These are things that we're biblically commanded to do. But if you elevate that end goal to the, to the place of God, it's just an idol. And it won't deliver you, and it won't save you, and it won't fulfill God's plan for the world. And God says, you know, in vain, I punished your people. You didn't respond to correction. You know, I've, I've sent prophets to you. I've, I've, you know, brought other nations to, to, to kind of bring you back to me. But you didn't respond. You killed the prophets I sent to you. I sent you prophets. You killed them. They're going to do that with the greatest one he sends to them. Consider the word of the Lord. I was not a land of darkness and desert to you. I was blessing to you. You know, why have you turned from me? Even, even worldly people, they, they take care of the stuff that's good to them. Young ladies take care of their jewelry. You didn't even take care of your God. You've murdered innocent people just because it profited you. You didn't catch them in any wrong, but you murdered them. Yet in spite of that, you say, I'm innocent. God is not angry with me. But God sees. You will be disappointed by Egypt as you were by Assyria. Yeah, you're looking to these powers to, to deliver you. And in fact, um, Babylon's going to come into Israel uh, to Judah twice. And the first time, they're not going to destroy the city. They're going to make the king a vassal. And he's going to be a vassal to the king of Babylon. And they'll go back and leave things kind of as they were. But then Egypt is going to actually have a military victory against Babylon. And as soon as that happens, the king of Judah is going to go, Oh, oh we don't have to follow Babylon either now because <laughs> Egypt's, Egypt's coming back. Well, Egypt didn't come back that far. And uh, Jeremiah is speaking prophetically. But what is going to happen is then Babylon's going to go, Oh, oh, you really? You're going to rebel against us? We're going to come back. And the people are going to be like, Okay, Egypt, where are you? And Egypt's just going to stay in Egypt, it's not going to deliver them. He's going to go, you're going to leave your place with your hands on your head. You're going to be prisoners because you've rejected the Lord. Then the last part, this is going to be, it's going to sound really harsh. If a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? He's saying, look, if if you leave me, if I'm your husband and you leave me, and marry with other per- people. Should I take you back? Wouldn't that just defile the land? You have, you've been a prostitute. You've been unfaithful in the utmost sense. You know, what do you expect to happen now? And that's that's the this harsh word. But there's a couple things. One, we're actually going to find... One of the minor prophets, Hosea, who has an adulterous wife, who becomes a prostitute, who goes off with other men. And yet God tells the prophet Hosea, you take her back, she will eventually be a faithful wife to you. That is going to be very much the case with Judah. And then if we go back to the beginning of all this, in the call of Jeremiah said, See, today I appointed you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This same Jeremiah that's going to speak this word of judgment on on Judah is also the same one who's going to write in the book of Lamentations as Israel is going into that exile, that Babylonian exile that they deserve because of all this, and he's going to say to them, Hey, the mercies of God are new every morning. You're not cast off by the Lord forever. And he will tell them to work and to pray for the prosperity of the places they're going to go so that they can flourish because that's not the end. He's going to call them back. So even in the midst of all this time of judgment, even in this situation of Israel totally rejecting its call, to be God's people, to be weighty, to carry the weight of the Lord, and they're choosing to be weightless. God is still faithful. God has given that promise. Even if you're unfaithful, I'll still be faithful. And because of that, and because of his faithfulness in bringing them back from exile and carrying on his plan, 600 years after all this happens, we're going to get the greatest prophet, who is also the word of the Lord. He's not only going to be a prophet, but he's going to be the word of the Lord that came to the prophets. We're going to get Jesus. And because of that, God's project of restoration and redemption will be ultimately successful. So because of that, every week... (coughs)